0: We are in the middle of a three-week sermon series entitled, Keep the Faith. Last Sunday, I preached to you from Titus chapter 1 about keeping the faith by leading the charge. This morning, I want to present to you the idea of keeping the faith by setting the example. So if you have a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and We will be reading verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, just listen as I I read the verses aloud and understand that these are the words of the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith in love in perseverance older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine but teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands to love their children to be sensible pure workers at home kind being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say, about us, And before we dig into the background of our text this morning, I want to give you a little background on my understanding of the word example. In order to do so, you need to see a picture of baby Jake, all right? With his dear old Uncle Wayne. So if we got a picture of the Bullets soccer team up there, I'm not quite a baby, but I was in peewee soccer at one point. Now, this, is, uh, this is not a typical childhood picture for me, but yet it is. Usually in sports pictures, I had a bat in my hand because I played baseball. I was, I was better at hitting the ball with my hands than I was at kicking it with my feet. And uh, right behind me, I don't know if you can see him up there, but is a, a character that I've often referred to as Uncle Buck. His name is Wayne. Everybody has an Uncle Buck, right? That was my Uncle Wayne. And uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about soccer when this season started. And it's usually because I played baseball. Um, this picture is, is usual because I'm just standing there all shy and quiet, just right in front of my uncle, being my normal self. And I was kind of scared in this picture because we took this picture at our very first practice. We were given our jerseys, and so we put them on, and I come out on the soccer field going, I have never done this before. Where are the bases, right? Where's home plate? And I'm thinking, this, this is kind of a strange little sport. But everything that I learned about playing the game of soccer that year, I learned from my Uncle Wayne, because he knew. I might not have known much, but he did, and he taught me. And he would often teach me and the others on our team by demonstrating for us the skills that he wanted us to practice, because this wasn't just my first year playing soccer, it was the rest of my team's first year playing soccer at least on a team, in any formal type of setting. And so he would set an example for us to follow. When it came time to learn how to to pass, we'd do a little passing drill, and he would take the ball, stop it with his foot, and then pass it with the side of his foot. This was news to me, because I thought you just reared back and kicked that thing with your toe. as hard as you could, right? But he set an example for us, and we learned. And here's a couple more pictures of Uncle Wayne's soccer coaching endeavors. Uh, Later on, he he couldn't do much with me. I I was already in love with baseball. But later on, he worked with a team of college-age guys from Rwanda. Um, This was about 10 years ago in 2009. He coached them around the Little Rock area. And uh, there's, there's his star of the team right there. His name was Valens. It's pretty good. Anybody from Rwanda over there, by the way? All right. That may be a good thing. You probably know Uncle Wayne by reputation. That may not be good either. So here's a, here's a, a couple of guys that played on his soccer team, and here's Uncle Wayne coaching those guys. He might not have, could, uh, might not could have set the physical example at this point in his coaching career, but, uh, but he still he led by example. He led those guys. Um, and this was something interesting about that Rwandan soccer team. All of those guys were college-age students that had come over here uh, with education or work visas. There were very few of them that had ever played organized soccer. And so he put this team of nationals from Rwanda together and taught them how to play the game of soccer. They had one practice and then played their first game. There were still two or three of them that had no idea what it meant to be offsides, but they played, and they played, and they played. They played the Washington Baptist University soccer team. I think they lost to them, but they played, and they could hang in with those guys. He coached and he set an example for these young men, not just of how to play a sport, but of how to live their lives. He taught them and they followed. In the Christian life, we are to keep the faith by setting a spiritual example of godliness. That's what Paul wanted Titus to do for the church in the scripture passage we just read. That's what Titus wanted his church members to do on the island of Crete. And that's what I want each of you to do. Keep the faith by setting an example of godly character. And in order to communicate the biblical principles that I've read to you this morning, I want you to think of yourselves as players on God's team. So let's compare our kingdom roles to positions on a soccer field to find out how we set an example in order to keep the faith. Uncle Wayne taught me this too. And um, hopefully I've got this all right, all right? There's a little picture of a soccer field up there with some red and blue dots, Alan, if you'll put that on the screen. All right, these red and blue dots that you're going to see on this image of a soccer field represent teams that are uh, opposing one another. And you'll see that there is uh, one red dot on this side and one blue dot on this side. Anybody know what, yeah, does anybody know who that dot represents? The goalie, right, or the keeper? And then you've got a line of three people in front of the goalie. Those are called the defenders. Everybody with me? Everybody say defenders. You guys must be baseball fans too. It's okay, all right? So here we got, we got goalies or keepers, and we got defenders. And then the, the players that are highlighted with the yellow rings around them, those are the midfielders. Everybody say midfielders. And then the folks that are lined up there at, uh, at, at the half point in the field are the strikers or the forwards, all right? So those are your folks that are responsible for leading the charge offense and going to score the goal. And I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about these positions as we go on, and then Coach Gabe can correct this for his soccer players later, all right? But I want you to keep in mind these four positions on a soccer field and the four categories that Paul presented to Titus in this passage. Goalie or keeper, everybody say goalie. Goalie. Defender, midfielder, forward. Alright, you guys got it. So here's what we find out verses 1 through 2 of Titus chapter 2. Older men set the example of perseverance. Older men set the example of perseverance. Most scholars believe that Titus was older than Timothy, Paul's other son in the faith that we talked about over the previous couple of months. Titus could have been a contemporary of Paul's generation, age-wise in the same bracket, or maybe even slightly older than Paul. He would therefore have been one of the older men whom Paul was instructing in verse 2. Titus's job was to set an example and to speak challenging words to others in the church so that they might also be examples. Notice some of the adjectives he uses to describe this person's character. Temperate, that is someone who exercises discretion and moderation and is not blown here and there by passionate emotional appeals. Dignified, that's a trait of confidence in one's character and convictions, so that a person is distinguished as a man of integrity above his peers. Sensible. The ability to make wise decisions, sound in faith, that is, he possesses the wherewithal to make a judgment call on what is truth or a lie. Love, he chooses to treasure, protect, and invest in what is good. And perseverance, the commitment to continue in the right direction for the ultimate goal even when the immediate and tangible results do not seem to work toward fulfilling the goal. Perseverance. The goalie or the keeper stands in front of his own team's net on the field, right? He's got a, one simple job. What's his job? Keep the other team from getting the ball in the net or across the line. Is that kind of right, Coach Gabe? Good. Goalies, make sure you listen to Coach Gabe tomorrow at practice, okay? So, here's the thing. He's got this job. His job is to persevere throughout the game. To block shots, to catch the ball, to roll it to his team, to kick it as hard as he can down the field so that his team can advance and attack the other team's net. He's got one job. But I've noticed this about goalies when I've watched... FIFA World Cup matches on TV, these guys are like yelling at their other teammates on the field, and they've got those big gloves that they wear on their hands, you know, and they're like pointing people and moving people and doing this and that, and it's almost like they're the single motivator for everybody else that's on the field in front of them. And it may not necessarily be that they're a more important player or that they're even the captain of the team, but they're kind of like the catcher in baseball that points and moves and pushes everybody in the right direction. The example an older man sets is crucial to all of the other examples that follow in this passage. An older man is kind of like the keeper of the spiritual faith. Men are not intrinsically superior to women, and older people are not infinitely better than younger people. But God has created men To be leaders in the home, the church, and society. And God has allowed older people to gain wisdom from their experiences that younger people simply don't yet have. Think about it with me. The the way a father goes is the way his children go. The way a pastor goes is the way a church goes. The way a general goes is the way his army goes. So let me ask you older men here today Where are people headed under your example? Does your character remind others under you and around you of Christ? A goalie is the backbone of his team, the only player at his position on the soccer field. His job is not just to keep his team's net from penetration when under attack. It's also to press his team on towards the goal in front of them. There has not ever been a goalie in the history of international football that's been perfect, however. Sometimes keepers guess the wrong direction on a penalty kick. They accidentally bounce a ball across the goal line instead of deflecting it away, or they even miss an incoming opponent on a crossheader. The final godly character quality of an older man listed in verse 2 is not perfection. It's perseverance. The question, older men, that you need to ask yourselves is not, did I do everything right? But rather, did I choose to keep going even when I didn't do everything right? If God has you here, then He has called you to endure to the end. Older men keep the faith by displaying perseverance. So be an example of one who endures. And then Paul moves his attention from older men in the congregation at Crete to older women. And I'll let you define that age bracket, older women, okay? Older women are to set the example of reverence in verse 3. Older women are to set the example of reverence. The theme of exemplary character for mature female saints is summed up in that one adjective, reverent. A good synonym to help us understand The usage of this word is the word devout. Paul's point is that older women should be genuine in their personal beliefs in such a way that it directly corresponds to their public behavior. The first two phrases that Paul used to further explain reverent behavior deal with moral impurities that women of the faith should avoid. Malicious gossip and enslavement to wine. You could say it like this. Don't open your mouth and spew evil and don't open your mouth and swallow evil. An older woman who sets an example for others knows how to use her lips to build others up and to keep others from stumbling. The last challenge Paul used for these women of God is teaching what is good. When a woman of God chooses to nourish herself on godliness and then decides to share the truth that she has learned with others, especially younger women, then she fulfills her role in the kingdom. The godly example is not just to avoid sin, but also to impart a lifestyle of righteousness. So older women, I appeal to you as grandmothers and mothers, older sisters in the faith, and I ask you to consider these questions. When you open your mouth to speak to someone, do you harm them or do you help them? When you open your mouth, your body, your mind, or your heart to take something in, do you do so with the desire to live pleasing to the Lord or to gratify your own selfish wants? Are you faithful to teach good to those under your care and around you in your sphere of influence. If you have a healthy fear of your Father in heaven, then you don't allow the insecure impulses with which you are confronted to control you. Take heed to the biblical lesson of the virtuous woman, epitomized in Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Older women keep the faith by setting an example of reverence. I kind of like to think of these older women in the faith as the defenders on the field. That line in front of the goalie. The job of the defender is to keep the ball away from their own net and to clear the ball out to the midfielders and the forwards in front of them. As older women in the church and in the Christian faith... It is your job to defend people from going astray into error. Don't lead them into error by using foolish words or committing deceitful actions. Older women keep the faith by setting an example of reverence. And then Paul writes in verses 4 and 5 about younger women. You kind of think of the younger women as the midfielders. And they, more than any other group, have to run back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on the soccer field. They're here and there and everywhere. They're helping defenders clear the ball out. They're helping their forwards set up for an attack. Their job is to move and to help everybody else move and to help the ball move down the field. An older woman's example sets the tone for younger women. Younger women are not excluded from setting an example just because they're younger. In fact, there are more specific points of instruction for the example that younger women are to set than any other category of people listed in this passage. Younger women are to love their husbands, Paul begins. And I know this might sound controversial in our culture, but when you read about the biblical instruction on marriage in Ephesians 5, and take the last phrase of verse 5 in this passage, as truth at its core, you learn the greatest way a wife loves her husband, and that's through voluntary submission to his spiritual headship in the home. It's a simple idea. If you respect, and, if you respect God and follow Christ, then you respect the man that God gave you, and you follow his lead. Your love is not to be completely spent on your husband, but it should be completely invested in him. When you're totally invested in your marriage, you not only excel as a wife, but you also excel as a mother. Loving your children is the second phrase he issues. And that is a must if you're going to set a godly example as a younger woman sacrificing yourself in service to your kids is perhaps the hardest lesson you will ever have to learn. And maybe that's because your kids have your husband's DNA. I don't know. It's, it's just a thought. But it's reality. Sacrificing and serving. In order to truly love your children, you've got to put your needs, wants, shopping lists, personal time, even your very own life on the back burner. And give them more attention than you give yourself the list continues and make sure not to leave out any younger women even the unmarried or childless sensibility means possessing sound reason to make wise decision purity is keeping yourself unstained from the filth of the world around you working at home means that you do the menial tasks with great meaning Setting the spiritual thermostat in the household to provide those you live with a godly environment and atmosphere. Now, Guys, just for clarification, I needed to put this in there for myself, so I probably needed to do so for you too. This phrase does not mean that girls have to do all the housework. Alright? We need to help. But girls, just for your clarification, this phrase means you do need to do housework. And through it all, maintain kindness. A cheery disposition. Not because you're practically perfect like Mary Poppins, but because Christ lives in you. And you love and forgive like He loves and forgives. The example that a younger woman sets is summed up in the word humility. A younger woman should be subject to her own husband as well as do all of the other aforementioned things, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Pride has the potential to dishonor the Lord, but humility has the promise of bringing honor to Him. Younger women keep the faith by setting an example of humility. So if you're a younger woman in the faith here today, I challenge you to go against the grain of culture. And instead of shoving your value in the faces of everybody around you, know your value in Christ and choose instead to humble yourself as Christ humbled himself. Your example not only affects the next generation of younger women and encourages the previous generation of older men and women, but it also sets the tone for how the young men around you will choose to live. This is where Paul lands in verses 6 through 8. Younger men set the example of sensibility. Younger men set the example of sensibility. And here's where this passage hits home for me. Younger men, and yes, I am one of those for just a few more years, right? We are urged by the Apostle Paul in this passage and by all of the others here in this list before us to be sensible in all things. In all things, we are to show ourselves to be an example of good deeds. This means that when people notice what we do, they see goodness, God's goodness, in our character. That goodness does not emanate from us as the original source. It exudes through us from Christ, the fountainhead of wisdom. Our doctrine might might not always be communicated with theological precision, but it should always be theologically accurate. You don't have to be a seminary graduate, but your doctrine needs to be kept pure, that is not corrupted with ideas of selfish gain by manipulating others or turning a blind eye to your own faults. The same dignity that older men possess we should strive to obtain and show it as we learn it in our pursuit of the same. Our speech should be so strong and precise that the most cunning of Satan's employed demonic prosecutors would have no grounds to make a charge against us, whether it's double entendre, innuendo, or falsehood. The example, I think, that younger men when comparing them to a position on a soccer field is that of a forward or the striker. The greatest potential to score a goal for the soccer team on the field lies in the feet of the forwards. It's not that the forwards are the most important players or that they have the greatest position. It's just that it's their job to be up front and punch one to the back of the net. And as great as that power might be, there is also the real danger of thinking that we can do it on our own and wearing ourselves out so that our team can't score. Or of failing to make the wise decision in order to make ourselves look better than we actually are. In order to fulfill the role of being out in front, you don't need to pay so much attention to your big ego. As you do each and every one of the little steps it takes to help your team win. Uncle Wayne tried to explain to me when I was little what offside in soccer meant. I knew what it meant in football. You were just on the wrong side of the line of scrimmage when the whistle, or, or, or when the, the uh, center snapped the ball. And then the refs would blow the whistle and you get a flag. But with soccer, I'm still trying to figure out what in the world is going on. They're stopping the game, somebody's about to score. This is the most exciting part of this whole two-hour match I've watched on TV. But what happens in soccer is sometimes the forwards move too far down the field past the last defender before the ball is kicked to them. When that happens, the forwards realize that they haven't made a sensible decision for their team. Young men, we need to ask ourselves some questions In light of setting an example to keep the faith, are the wild decisions that we are making worth the risk that we are taking? Are we taking the risk that we should or holding back in fear? When others look at the deeds that I perform, do they get a glimpse of someone who does good to honor God? Or do they see someone who pretends to do good only to impress others? Are my personal beliefs about God tainted by my selfish desires to get what I want for myself? Am I dignified in my daily behavior or do I live without care about the call of Christ on my life? When people hear the words that I speak, do they hear the truth or a lie? A life marked by godliness is one that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control manifests itself in powerful wisdom. Younger men keep the faith by setting an example of sensibility. In order to keep the faith, every one of us, regardless of our role in the kingdom, must set an example of godly character. And some of you here today, as you've listened, have been challenged to set a better example of godliness for others around you. And during this time of response, perhaps you need to make a decision to join this church family to repent of sin that's present in your life, or even to commit to setting an example for your family, your friends, or your church. Others of you are already setting a godly example already. And hopefully you've been encouraged to continue to set that example. And maybe you just need to spend this time of response thanking God for saving you and asking Him to help you continue to be an example for others. But I would still say that there are those here today who cannot set a godly example simply because they don't yet know God. The only way a person can play on the field is if they're on the team. And the challenge for you today is not to keep the faith, but to come to faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. You can join His team, this family of believers, by admitting that you are not always the example that you should be. You make mistakes and you do wrong. The Bible calls it sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. After admitting that you've sinned, then you believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He was a perfect example. He lived a sinless life and then chose to lay down His own life by dying on the cross for your sins. The Bible says that God demonstrated His love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible also tells us that the punishment of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you have admitted that you are a sinner and have believed that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, you must confess Him as the new Lord or Master of your life. You join His team and push toward His kingdom agenda. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. During this time of response, if that's you here today, if you don't yet know God, I ask you to walk up here and speak with me about calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we enter into this time of response? I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me, and the altar is open if you need to pray. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to him?